You're listening to Faith, Finance, and Freedom with financial advisor, Drew Lehman. Hello, and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've had a great week. On today's show, we'll start by breaking down what actually happened in the Silicon Valley bank debacle and what it means for the rest of the banking industry and you. We'll also consider what it means to invest according to your values, as well as, of course, talk through some of my recent scripture readings. We've got a lot to get to, so let's get going. Let's start by talking about the Silicon Valley Bank disaster. It kicked off some serious fears in the banking industry as a whole and led to other bank struggles in the past couple of weeks. So what actually happened here? Is this something to really be concerned about? Well, in my opinion, no, not really. I'm not saying there's no concerns at all and nothing needs to be fixed. Rather, I just think this is a story that will really blow over relatively quickly and we likely won't even be talking about it in a couple of weeks. One reason is, these banks that have struggled in the past two weeks don't seem to be a good representation of the banking industry as a whole. Let's take Silicon Valley Bank, for example. 94% of SBB's deposits were not FDIC-insured. You see, FDIC insurance covers deposits up to $250,000 per depositor. So what this means is that 94% of the money in the bank was over that $250,000 threshold per depositor. Think about that for a minute. The vast majority of customers at this bank had over 250 grand in their accounts. Do you keep 250,000 at your local bank? Most of their customers were incredibly wealthy individuals or corporations that were using SVB for higher interest rates and tech-friendly customer service. This put SVB at risk for a couple of reasons. First, they were heavily concentrated in one industry, technology. Most of the depositors were either venture capitalist firms that heavily invested in tech or technology companies themselves. You know for your own situation that diversification is key and that you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, if you will. But this was precisely a problem SBB faced. Secondly, because the vast majority of the depositors had millions in the bank or even billions, when one or 10 or 50 clients pulled their funds, it wasn't the same as 50 of us normal Americans pulling out our money out of our local bank. When 50 of the average bank clients pull out of an average bank, it means the bank could lose maybe a couple of million dollars in deposits, which sounds like a lot, but really, it's nothing in the banking industry. But when 50 clients at an institution like SVB pull out, it could be hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars spelling disaster if that bank doesn't have cash on hand. And this is precisely what happened. The tech industry experienced some challenges starting in 2022, which called for these companies needing to pull funds out for one reason or another, and SVB didn't have the appropriate cash on hand. So why not? Where was this money? Well, this was the other issue. SVB had the largest percentage of deposits tied up in an investment portfolio of any bank in the country. You see, most banks will keep a very large percentage of cash on hand but they do use some of your deposits to lend out to other customers or for investment opportunities. This, of course, is how banks typically make money. You give them your money on deposit, they give you a very small interest rate, and they use your funds to loan out money to other customers at a much higher interest rate. But SVB instead used a much larger percentage in an investment portfolio. 
And to justify this, they bought very quote-unquote safe investments in longer-term treasury bonds. Now, these government bonds are actually indeed quite safe. That is, if you're able to buy and hold them until maturity. Let me explain. When you buy a treasury bond, let's say with a maturity of 10 years, what you're actually doing is lending money to the federal government for 10 years, and they promise to give you a stated interest rate in return. So if you buy the bond and hold it for the whole 10 years, there's essentially no risk. Because this bond is backed by the full faith of the U.S. government, they're considered one of the safest investments on the planet. If the Treasury were to default on these bonds, that is, not make the interest or principal payments back to you, that would mean our country is in dire straits. And essentially, we'd be in an Armageddon-type scenario. So, if these are so safe, then what was the problem? Well, the problem comes if you cannot hold the bonds until maturity. If you have to sell them before the 10 years are up, then you're subject to what is known as interest rate risk. Think about it this way. If you bought a 10-year bond at a 4% interest rate, and then because of inflation or market movements, six months later, the Treasury is now issuing bonds at 5%, you'd have to sell your bond at a discount. Because why would I want to buy your bond when I can get a higher rate directly from the issuer? Well, this is exactly what happened to SVB. Many of their depositors needed their money due to their own business struggles. SVB didn't have enough cash on hand and had their deposits tied up in treasuries that were now worth a lot less because interest rates had gone up. They had to sell the bonds at a deep discount, which led to massive losses, and they couldn't cover all the withdrawal needs for their customers. So what does all this mean? Is your local bank at risk? Well, it's not likely. We have seen a few other banks struggle, and it's possible there could be a few more. But as I said earlier, this was a relatively unique situation, as most banks are not so highly concentrated in one industry with incredibly high balances. Most banks have the majority of their deposits made up by everyday Americans like you and me. And so far, it appears that most of these banks seem to be on a good financial footing. This is why I think it's likely to blow over relatively quickly. But I think there is a lesson to learn here, and it's a valuable one at that. The lesson is cash on hand is key. Just like banks need to keep an appropriate amount of cash on hand to safeguard against a run on the bank, you need to keep an appropriate amount of cash on hand to safeguard against a run on your finances. You shouldn't tie up every last dime in risky investments. If you're working, there's always the risk that you could get hurt or lose your job, and thus you should keep a minimum of at least six months worth of living expenses in cash, not invested, to protect against the risk. I say minimum because depending on your situation, I'm likely to recommend more than this, potentially even up to 12 or 18 months. If you're retired and living off your retirement savings, an emergency fund becomes even more important. For example, let's say you're retired and taking portfolio withdrawals of $2,000 per month to supplement your Social Security and other income. Well, if we were to head into a recession and the market were to drop 40 or 50%, it sure would be nice for you to have cash on hand so that you could essentially turn off that $2,000 withdrawal and live out of savings for a bit. This is why for retirees, I always suggest we try to keep at least 12 months worth of what we'll call portfolio withdrawals in cash on hand at their bank. It takes a lot of risk off the portfolio because we know that if we were in for extreme volatility, 
we would have a safeguard in place to stop the bleeding. So let's learn from Silicon Valley's troubles and make sure we have enough cash on hand today. So let's shift gears a bit and talk through a hot topic, values-based investing. What does this mean? Well, historically, investors used to just analyze a company based on the numbers and how they think the company is going to perform, maybe based on their sales, um, projections, debt ratios, liquidity, and so on. Well, in the past several years, investors have started looking beyond the financials and instead have started looking at what sort of behaviors companies are engaging in. The biggest example of this is, of course, ESG investing. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. While these categories alone sound innocent and can be used for moral purposes, ESG has been essentially hijacked by the woke population in the country. And it's been used as a political ammunition. Essentially, big investment firms have used ESG principles to bully companies into supporting political agendas that align with many incredibly woke ideas. I think that ESG started as a worthy cause, but it's been turned into a nightmare. Now any investment company that is involved in ESG investing seems to be trying to push crazy agenda items like the Green New Deal or the so-called Equality Act and so on. So does value-based investing have any value to it at all? I believe it can. At my firm, we work with an asset manager that engages in what they call Biblically Responsible Investing, or BRI. The concept behind BRI is that as Christians, we want to do everything for the glory of God, and that includes how we invest our money. See, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells the infamous parable of the talents. In this story, Jesus tells of a master that leaves money to various servants and he's well pleased and rewards the servant who turns the money left to him into more money. And he's frustrated and punishes the servant who does nothing with the money. I don't want to turn this story into something that it's not and try to put words in Jesus' mouth. I think a lot of people try to take this to mean we should do whatever it takes to earn the most money possible with what's been given to us. But I don't think that's what's actually going on here or what God would want from us either. What's happening in the story is the master is rewarding the servant who worked hard with what he was given. I do think we're supposed to be diligent and use the talents and resources we're given to the best of our abilities. However, I also think that we'll be judged slash rewarded with how we use our money. If we're simply doing whatever it takes to fill up our bank accounts here on earth to blow the money on our own selfish desires, I don't believe this is going to please God. This could lead to a whole conversation on giving, but I'll save that for another time. The point here is, every talent and resource we are given, we are called to make the most of it. And we're called to use it for God's glory. So what does that mean for investing? Well, I've been in the financial services industry since 2009. And not until about two years ago had I given this any thought at all. For years, I just did my best to manage my money and my clients' money in a way to try to maximize the return while limiting the risk. A couple of years ago, however, I was introduced to the idea of biblically responsible investing. I started looking into my own portfolio and realized some of the things I was supporting and worse yet, some of the things I was profiting from, and I was appalled. If you just look at the S&P 500, for example, which most investors have some sort of exposure to, 
Many of the top companies are engaging in behavior that flies in the face of some of my values, and I'd bet some of your values as well. Take, for example, a very commonly agreed upon topic of human rights violations. This can include all sorts of behavior, like slave labor, unfair wages, or even human trafficking. Now think about some of the biggest companies in the world. Like, for instance, we know that some of our most used technology, our phones, tablets, and computers, are produced in parts of the world that are notorious for unfair wages and slave labor. You've probably heard about the Uyghur slave labor camps in communist China, but the question is, what are they producing? Could you possibly be supporting this behavior simply through your 401k or IRA or other investment account? Okay, let's get a little more controversial. What about abortion? Whether you support the right to an abortion or not, I think it's important to understand whether your money is supporting this. There are many companies in the S&P 500 that I'll bet you probably own stock in right now that are either directly profiting from the abortion industry or donating millions of dollars to support it every year. If you own a pharmaceutical company, for instance, you can't simply own the portion of the company that produces your common headache medicine and not own the portion that's producing abortifacients. When you get the dividends or sell this stock for a profit, where's that money coming from? Have you thought about that before? I don't say all of this to condemn you. I'm just telling you my experience. Once I came to understand this issue, it opened my eyes in a new way, and I wanted to see if there was something I could do differently. So what are the alternatives here? Well, there are actually several companies out there that will screen investments based on your values. We work with one of those companies, and they've actually created their own exchange-traded funds using their screening tools to wean out companies that are engaging in behavior contrary to our values. Now, there certainly is no such thing as a Christian company or a perfect company for that matter, but we can at least divest from companies that are acting egregiously against our beliefs. I also see this as having an investment component as well. When I first started exploring this option, my first thought was, well, how much return would I have to give up in order to invest this way? Well, the further I looked into it, the more I realized this is foolish thinking. If there are companies out there, that are openly engaging in immoral behavior, the question is, what else are they doing behind the scenes that we don't know about? For instance, if we think of some of the biggest disasters in the stock market history, we can find several examples of companies openly behaving badly that were also doing illegal things behind the scenes. Two big examples from history would be Enron and Toshiba both of which were involved with immoral behavior, such as human rights violations and major environmental concerns, and both found themselves caught up in massive accounting scandals that essentially tanked their stocks. My point is, don't assume that investing according to biblical principles means you have to give up return potential. I believe that good values and good returns can go hand in hand. All right, so lastly, let's talk through a recent passage from my daily Bible readings. As mentioned last time, one of the books I'm currently reading through is the book of Acts. And I recently read about Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Once again, this is a story I've read many times before. But it always seems to point out something different to me. If you aren't familiar, 
Saul is who we come to know later as Paul, who actually wrote much of the New Testament and was really instrumental in the spread of the gospel throughout Rome to those outside the Jewish faith. However, this is not how we're introduced to Paul. Instead, he comes on the scene as Saul, a devout Jew who did not believe in Jesus. Saul was known as a persecutor, someone who went around looking for the followers of Jesus to drag them back to the Jewish leaders so they would be thrown in jail and potentially beaten. Saul, however, had his own encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus blinded him temporarily and spoke to him, asking, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? After this encounter, Saul's life changed. Even his name changed. He became a devout follower of Jesus that used the rest of his life to spread the good news to those around him. So when I read this story, I think about those of you that might be broken and ashamed. You might think you're not worthy and you deserve nothing good in this life. I know I've been there several times before myself. But the point is, no matter what you've done, you can always turn to God. You don't have to clean up your life first. This is a common problem with religion today. Instead, you just turn to God and he can help you with that. All you have to do is put your faith in him and submit your life to him and he'll take care of the rest. All right, well, again, this has been fun and I look forward to next time. God bless. God bless.